Welcome back to Outdoors with me, Lawrence Gunther. Lily has some interesting information to share with us today about reptiles and keeping reptiles as pets. We also have another part to our three-part series on Jeff Garnsey's Garnsey's Feral Acres and his farm animal rescue. I've got some tips to share on fishing down deep. You know, midsummer, you want to go deep. That's where the fish have moved. They've gone down deep. And then for reflections, I'm going to talk about snakes. Did you know? Lily, we have our final installment of our visit to Garnsey's Feral Acres coming up. But before we go there, what do you have uh, for our listeners to educate our listeners? So did you know that having reptiles as pets has gained popularity in recent years? But there is a growing number of people opposed to owning these pets as animals. So their concerns range from reptiles posing a serious danger to public health to beliefs about reptiles being too cold to love. So what is it that gives these reptiles such a bad rap then? I mean, is all this true? So critics of reptile pet ownership often state that reptiles are riddled with diseases. And while it's true that reptiles do harbor disease... The risk is often far lower than people realize. This fear may be due to outbreaks of salmonella in people that occurred nearly half a century ago in the 1970s. So turtles suddenly became a popular pet and reptile-borne salmonella incidents increased, representing about 11% of all human cases. I remember my brother got a pet turtle back in the 1970s and and yeah, he, he had to bring it back because uh, all this publicity came out about the salmonella. I think that's when a lot of turtles were released into the environment too, especially these red Mm -hmm. turtles that are very invasive now in Ontario. So another common critique is that reptiles, they simply do not make good pets. Mm -hmm. So this belief stems from the view that reptiles are lumbering, boring creatures. However, this could not be further from the truth. There are some incredible examples of reptile nimbleness. For Uh example, the basilisks can run on two legs on the surface of water for more than 20 meters, and crocodiles can use their massive jaws to delicately move their babies and eggs without damaging them. Some lizards can solve food problems and puzzles, and tortoises and bearded dragons can take cues from others of the same species to speed up problem-solving tasks, both of which are abilities once thought to be present only in birds and mammals. Who would have thought that uh, reptiles are so smart, right? They don't seem so smart, but maybe they're spending all that quiet time holding still, figuring stuff out. Well, while affection is harder to prove, you know, using current scientific methods, tests have shown that some tortoises prefer having their shells scratched by familiar humans to food or toys when making a choice. What about the reptiles themselves? Do they thrive as pets? People owning reptiles does pose some threat to the animals themselves. Well-intentioned owners can end up keeping reptiles in substandard conditions, eventually causing a variety of preventable health issues due to their ectothermic or their cold-blooded nature. Reading body language can be tricky, making it difficult to tell when reptiles are suffering, making things worse. Reptiles can often endure severe health conditions longer than mammals. So Mm. ultimately, this means that reptiles can be kept in neglectful conditions for months or even years. So thankfully, some reptile welfare groups on social media are doing their best to collect and communicate the most up-to-date standards of reptile care. Herpetologists who study reptiles and amphibians are continually refining the best husbandry practices and methods for evaluating reptile welfare. 
And then there's all the fears people have of reptiles, like the fear of snakes, right? Yeah, well, outdated beliefs about reptiles can do real harm by allowing reptile mistreatment to persist. So perhaps one of the most astonishingly cruel reptile-related practices are the annual rattlesnake rodeos taking place in the South U.S. So rattlesnakes are taken from the wild and stored for up to eight months, usually without food, water, or regular cage maintenance. Yeah, if the snake survives this process, they are brought to the rodeo where they are physically beaten, stomped on, or hastily decapitated, all while fully conscious. Will keeping a reptile as a pet help them or or hurt them? Through the proper ownerships of reptiles as pets and by dispelling the myth of surrounding them, we can raise awareness of their cognitive abilities and better appreciate their unique appeal. Though often overlooked, reptiles can make really great pets. Uh, Many owners find themselves captivated by their stoic beauty and others find even the simplest behavior endearing. With proper education, owners are able to care for a pet reptile for many years in a way that ensures the health of both the animals and their owner. Pet ownership may inspire positive change for the welfare of reptiles, putting an end to inhuman practices and promoting conservation goals for one of the most underfunded and under-researched group of animals. Wow. Okay. Thanks, Lily. Let's go and catch up where we left off with Jeff Garnsey and his Garnsey's Feral Acres. Yes. All right. Oh, my God, my favorite farm ever. (laughs) Outdoor Adventures. A couple of the sisters are here. These are called the Hampshire, and these are the most muscular breeds. Reach right down and a little bit further down. Feel this belly. Oh my goodness. Oh, hello. Hello. Where? Where? Oh, yeah. Oh, my good. Look at the belly and the nipples. Oh, yeah. Lots of nipples. She's like. You have to move just a bit ahead and her face and her nose. Where? Here? Where's her head? That's another one. Oh, that's another one. Hello. Hello. And hello to you, too. Hello to you, too. Hello. That's a big nose. A big wet nose. Nose, the big wet nose. So these three, <laughs> hi baby. There's a giant nose, eh? Oh my God, so they're uh, these three are all in the neighborhood of 850 pounds. Oh my goodness. Um, and they were in a 10 by 10 crate in a barn in Michigan. Yeah. And they were in up to their shoulders in their own waist. Oh my God. And the guy that had them was giving them water once a week yeah. as a treat. So uh, he was what? Just he'd lost his mind. He, he yes. And so you hear about was, that all the time. It's just small little people that have a little farm. They hoard. And they hoard. And then they, yep. they have no money. They have no right. friends. And, and, then they, and, they, and they have mental health issues. Yes. And they don't want to give up their animals. Right. And, and then they, the animals start dying. Yeah. Um, yeah. So these were taken. There were 200 animals that were taken. And there was such a wide net of abuse that they had to spread them to the Texas. Uh, there's a Texas pig rescue. There's a Chicago land rescue. These three were siblings. They had been together. And you can see by his bobtail that he was a factory farm pig. Tail docked. Yep. And when they got here, they were underweight and they were not physically in horrible shape, but they were traumatized because they'd been in this box. So we try to allow them to have as much comfort and as much space. Their paddock out there goes all the way to that back fence. Green pasture. And they can Um, go in there anytime they they, want? Yes, they have an open and shut door. Now, Phyllis... Phyllis escaped from a factory farm in uh, New Jersey. She was an Ossabaugh, the swimming pig, and she ran into a wooded area, and uh, she was found by a dog, and she was carried home by the dog. When she squeaked, the dog thought she was a chew toy, so he didn't hurt her. 
Yeah. And so the lady started feeding her, and once she got up to about 75 pounds, she put an ad on Craigslist for a barbecue pig. Okay, sweet. I don't want to bump into her and scare her. Oh my god! This is her shoulders. Oh my god. You're okay, baby. You're okay, baby. Okay. She's very good. And that's her. So, yeah, and that's her sister. Now, what's she too? Oh, she's talking to her sister. Yeah. Yeah. So she was. Oh my good, look at this yep. head. That's Alice. <laughs> Alice is an absolute doll. You're so nice. And they are very, very sweet. Their heads are um, huge, eh? Yeah. If you look into their eyes, there's something looking back at you. Yeah, yeah they're um, sentient. Absolutely. Very, very, very much. Yeah. Um, they've never shown anything but love to anyone that comes. What um, kind of and pigs are they? These are called Hampshires. This okay. is the most muscular breed of pig. Of they are almost entirely muscular. Oh my um, like yeah. very little fat on them. Hey, but this no little girl, here. this little girl, Grace, um, she was she had a crushing fracture of the left hip when she was a piglet, mm. and when she got here, the scar tissue had built up so much that it had masked it. Um, so when she got a little bit bigger, she started having some mobility issues. Yeah. And we took her to Cornell and they discovered the remodeled fracture. And they said that there was no surgical fix because it was old and it was, and she was so large. So they recommended that she be euthanized. And of course we, if there's even a chance that we never go that path. And yeah. if we do, we don't do it someplace else. It's going to be here. Yeah. So we brought her home on what they prescribed as hospice. And our large animal vet had done some research on steroids in direct joint uh, injections. Yeah. And so for three months, we gave her a direct joint injection of steroids. Um, and we started recovering the rear hip. And wow. so that was over a year ago, and she's recovered um, most of it. You're okay, Isabel. You're okay, sweetness. Um, so she's recovered. You can see she still doesn't have a normal gait, but 75% of her body weight is carried over her front shoulders. Yeah. Look at the booty, too. That's a TikTok booty right there. Look at that. She so got the cake. She definitely has the cake. Feel that booty. That is a booty right there. <laughs> now, do they respond to music at all? They do. They do. Yeah. Um, they like country music. We put that in the bar. So when we're doing that. It elevates their mood, does it? It does. Yeah. They you get a little swagger in their step kind of thing? They do. She's a lamb. A lamb. Yep. Oh. And you just, got, you just had her hair cut. She just got a haircut. Oh, she's so soft, her eh? companion's name is Willow. Um, but little girl was the firstborn of a pair of twins. And normally when a, uh, a lamb is born, uh, there's a period of time between births. And that allows the mother to clean them up, give them that first shot of colostrum, and then yeah. goes into, uh, into labor a second time. What happened with her, unfortunately, she was born... Um, a little prematurely and the mother immediately went into labor with the second one so because they were early um, the mother cleaned up and started giving milk to the second born and discarded her yeah. so she didn't get that first dose of colostrum she never got to spend any time with her mom wow um, and so she came here when she was two days old or had a lamb. So sad. she was she would fit in the palm of your hand but she immediately imprinted on her human, right? Yeah. So she didn't know her mom long enough to miss her mom. Yeah. And so she lived in the loft 
and she was out on the boat with me all summer. She what? was in every restaurant in town. She ate at Bella's in the Coffee Cove. When she was and, just a, when she was oh just yeah, a she's just a little baby. She used to wear cool sweaters, and uh, she'd walk around. I'd carry her in a purse. Um, but as she got bigger. Um, it was. It became apparent that she was not going to live forever in the loft. Yeah. So we had to get Willow, her companion, and Willow's entire flock had gone to market, but she was low birth weight, mm. um, so she wasn't really valuable to them. Mm -hmm. So they actually gave her to Farrell Acres so that um, little girl could have a lifetime companion. Aww. So she she's just a year old now. Full grown. She's full grown. Yeah. yeah. Are you keeping this organic as much as you can? Yes. We don't put anything into the land at all. A blue Angus in there. Wow. And her name is Marla. And Marla was not born ever. She was being carried almost to term over on Grindstone by her mother, who was also a blue Angus. And her mother was attacked and taken down by a, a pack of coyotes. And when they finished destroying the entire hindquarters of her mother, she had been dispatched and they got into the birth canal and they completely destroyed her left hip before she ever had the first breath. And they ate a very large portion of her left hip. Of, of and, the baby. Of the baby. In the in the, in the, in the Yeah, she in was the in the birth canal. Yeah. So she'd not been born. And uh, some good friends of ours uh, came upon the wreckage of this mother and saw the calf in this just pile and pulled her out and got her breathing and wrapped her in a towel and immediately took her to Cornell. And they reconstructed her left rear hip. There's a 38-inch scar that goes down the left side of her hip. Yeah. Um, and that was 12 years ago. She's had a completely normal life. Now, behind her, there's a very, very large white uh, steer named Ferdinand. Now, who's this? This is Ferdinand. Oh. Ferdinand is laying down, but he is lying feet tall. He's <laughs> and he's a big teddy bear. What's this here part? That's, that's where his horns were. That's where his horns yeah, were. Yeah, that's oh. the top of his head. Hello. Wow, what a wide head, eh? Oh, I'm petting him between his eyes, yes. and my thumb and fingers, it's pinky, so can't even reach where yeah. his eyes are. He's about 2,600 pounds by his measurements, so he's seven feet tall at the, at the head. So Ferdinand... Um, was Amish, yeah. and the only reason that he survived is he had two uh, young uh, calves that were females, and the three of them, because they were exposed to some extreme temperatures and they were inside a barn that didn't have an awful lot of great ventilation, they all three got pneumonia. Mm -hmm. So they gave them penicillin to combat the uh, pneumonia, but he was going to be culled as... Uh, veal. In order to do that, they had to wait that 30 days. Yeah. And so he was four days from being butchered. And I had just rescued a litter of puppies from the farm. And I fell in love with him. I had yeah. been watching him since he was tiny. And I knew what was holding his future. Um, so I kind of begged his life off of Menno. How, how big was he at that point? 100 pounds? Uh, probably just a little under 100 pounds. He yeah. was probably closer to 75 so than So he would have been veal? Yes. He understands the difference between uh, someone that's fully grown and like a small child. Um, he's got this little girl whose mom sponsors one of our pigs, and she's 13. And when she comes, he'll lay down just like that, and she will lay right here like in the crotch of his neck and he'll curl his head around her and Aww. he absolutely adores her. Oh, and I mean, he's as gentle as a lamb. He's, and he's, a, he's a cuddler. They have genetically modified uh, Holsteins so that they're no longer um, born 
completely white because they're very, very susceptible to eye cancer. Um, and normally they genetically enhance these things so that they have like big black eye patches if they have fair skin. Um, Ferdinand is snow white. He just within the last couple of weeks got the sutures out of his left eye. We had a cancer scare. Um, he got it very, very badly infected and it was the entire eye, you can't even hardly believe it because it's so beautiful now. His entire eye was bright red. It was the color of uh, just blood yeah. um, and it was all filled with pus and it was awful. Um, Doc Becky and I um, and Sean, who is our neighbor across the road, we did surgery right in this little barn behind you. Um, and we actually, once we debred it, we actually sewed his third eye. There's three eyelids on a cow. So one that's on the top and bottom and one goes side to side. Oh, wow. And we sewed the three of them together in the shut position. That allowed him to have about six weeks of recovery with the eye closed yeah. where nothing could get in. No bugs. To it, yep. So when you tissue. took those stitches out, that must have been the big reveal. Did they it work? They actually dissolved. So you just came and looked and his eye yep. was open and yep. clear. Yep, it looked beautiful. You know, there's always the possibility that it will come back, but we've taken several different uh, tissue samples and sent them to the lab. And right now, everything is precancerous, so he's in good shape right now. He is smart enough that on sunny days, he goes into his barn. So is he actually albino? No, no, he would have the pink eyes. And the lady that saw us with our Feral Acres truck at Cornell, she approached us and she asked if we did cows and I said well we've got Ferdinand the bull and we've got Rusty the bull um, and Marla the cow but we really we don't really do them and she said well she explained what had happened these were twins they were low birth weight they were too small to be veal they were gonna put them in the pit and she had begged them off the farmer um, and she said I'll pay their vet bills I'll transport them and I'll sponsor them if you'll give them a place to oh, live. Wow. So wow. they came to us and they were just a couple days old and uh, they were our first bottle babies. And yeah. what a challenge if you've never bottle fed calves because they get so aggressive when they're drinking their milk when they get a little bigger that you have to have somebody run interference so you can hang the, the uh, bucket or they'll knock it out of your hand. We have a pair of jerseys that one is completely black and the other one's brown. And they um, actually survived veal crates, which doesn't happen. Um, but there was a farm locally and they had 14 bull calves in the veal crates. And the farmer was so lazy that when it got too hot, he couldn't be bothered to give them food or water. And so one at a time they dropped and 12 of the 14 died in the crates. Oh, for God's sake. And a neighbor across the road saw that all of them had expired and he went over and purchased uh, Hershey and Coco as veal and said, um, you know, whatever you have to have for them, I want them. And when they came to the farm, Doc Becky met them here and she gave them a 50-50 chance of living 24 hours. They just turned three this spring. Lily, yeah. what's your favorite animal so far? <laughs> the baby pigs. <laughs> Two little piglets. Oh. They're in their own little enclosure right now and they're actually, they're chasing each other around the stall. That's all right. They're so... <laughs> so this is Wilbur? Yes. And we, we've met Wilbur. And Dr. Becky, you're gonna... Uh, well, I'm going to try to see if I can get some blood on Wilbur while he's sleeping. Yeah. And um, so the best way to get blood on a pig is actually from an ear vein. Probably a good idea would be to get a little closer to your left, Lawrence, yeah. um, and hold on to that wall up. because there's a very real possibility he is going to come up like a rocket. Okay. I'm hoping um, he doesn't. I'm hoping I'll step, I'll step right over here and then get out of your way. That Probably. might be a good yeah. idea. Yeah.
It's okay, sweetie. It's okay. It's okay, sweetie. Well, I'd like to have more than this, but this might be in this is might, might be what, you what get. I get. It's really weird because they don't have like good peripheral veins at yeah. all. Yeah. So I mean you can get blood from their jugular vein, but it involves a lot of squealing and it's not fun. And so really the best place to get blood from is from an ear vein. Okay, sweetie. It's okay, sweetie. It's okay, baby. You're okay. It's amazing the things that you can learn just from watching them. And to watch kids' eyes pop open when they come face-to-face -face with a seven-foot-tall cow. Um, and it, it definitely will change the way uh, you perceive any, any animal from that point on. Yeah, yeah. They're not just a... They're not just a uh, something that you see in the grocery store at that point there mm -hmm. they actually have a personality and uh, and when you look into their eyes you see somebody looking back and that's uh, that's a big deal it's good to remember yeah so these are these are all animals that are sentient they yeah. all have feelings hey where can we find out how can people follow you um well we've got an instagram and a facebook uh garnsey's feral acres g-a-r-n-s-e-y-s-f-e-r-a-l A-C-R-E-S. Garnsey's Feral Acres. Yep. Thank you, man. Well, thank you. Okay, give me a hug. Outdoor tips and tech. Six degrees on your left. 122 meters. There's no doubt that horizontal fishing, casting out there and reeling in and, and getting those reaction bites on spinner baits, you know, spinner baits is something everyone should have in their fishing arsenal. Just go into any Canadian tire or, or Cabela's or Sail Outdoors or sports store that sells fishing equipment, ask for a spinner bait, get a white one, and you have a lure that'll catch bass and pike and uh, just they're really great lures for casting around and they never get snagged. But you know, sometimes a spinner bait, when you're fishing shallow like that with one, it's not going to work. It's great in the at night, early in the morning, but during the day, fish go deep. So you want to th do things like jigging or drop shotting where you're fishing straight down. Now, this is where you're really feeling for the bite, something I excel at. And I think anyone who feels with their hand, who pays attention to what they're feeling with their hand, blind, low vision, deaf, blind, you're really uh, good at fishing uh, through contact and feeling the bite. A drop shot is a traditional kind of rig, only flipped upside down. Normally, you know, you've got a float, and then below that, you've got a little weight, and then below that, you've got a hook. A drop shot rig, no float, and the weight is at the very bottom. And then the hook is maybe 6 inches to 18 inches above the, the weight. So get yourself a non-lead weight, maybe half ounce or three-eighths of an ounce or a quarter ounce, depending on the current or if you're drifting. They attach to the bottom of your line after you tie your hook on. So you have to learn how to tie a special knot for drop shot fishing. It's not hard to do, really not hard to do. Have someone show you. I'm not gonna go through it right here. The hook sort of sticks straight out from the line. And then you put your plastic on that or your worm or your leech. You drop that straight down and wait. You're gonna have three types of bites. You're gonna feel a, just a pressure bite where the fish just comes over and consumes your, your bait and doesn't bite it, just mouths it and holds onto it. And then when you lift up your fishing rod slowly, you'll feel this sort of pressure and this weight. And, it, and then you think, oh, am I stuck on the bottom? And then you'll feel the fish move his head and you realize, oh no, I got a fish on. Or you'll feel a, an actual thump and, and where the fish swims over and grabs it. And that's a, a, a sign of an aggressive fish or a fish that's got other fish around it and it's just competing to get to your bait before the other guys do. Or you'll have a, a bite uh, from a fish as it's sinking down. 
super aggressive fish they see it coming and they and they just go grab it as it's coming down so pay attention for that bite as well last thing on fishing drop shots is you don't want to fish more than 25 feet uh, down or about eight meters anything more than that it's going to be tough on the fish fish cannot adjust their their swim bladder that quickly and uh, if you're bringing a fish that's down 30 35 feet to the surface the swim bladder is going to inflate and then the fish is going to have a hard time going back down. Now, if you're going to keep a few fish and eat them, it's it's fine. But if you're planning on letting them go, you don't want to be fishing in, in waters deeper than 25 feet using drop shot because it's going to be uh, detrimental to the fish population. I was never a big snake lover. And I think it's because I see the snake. I, you want to have a little bit of vision. But knowing where the head is and knowing which way the head is pointed, I could never see that well. And being able to grab it just behind the head like my brother could. He was a real snake grabber. He could catch snakes, and he did. He caught a lot of snakes as we were kids growing up. He's two years older than me. He was always coming back. Hey, Lawrence, look at the snake I caught. And he'd hand it to me, and then the thing would coil around my arm. And I think that's the creepiest feeling at all. Though You're holding a snake, and then it wraps its body around your forearm all the way up past your elbow. And then you realize, I'm not holding the snake anymore. It's holding me. It's a little disconcerting because now all of a sudden you feel like you're no longer in charge. Now you feel like you're the, you're the prey. It doesn't give you the right to kill the snake. And I don't understand why everyone wants to kill a snake. As soon as you say snake, they come over with some sort of chopping mechanism, an axe or a hoe or a shovel, and they, and they start clubbing it and, and decapitating it. And you think, well, hang on. What did the snake do to you? Like, it's, it's not causing any harm at all. In fact, they're a benefit. They are eating mice. Gardener snakes and, and milk snakes are the most common, and they're completely harmless. And they're doing good work on keeping the mice populations down. Leave them be. We have very little to worry about with respect to snakes in Canada. Just leave them be. Follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or visit me at lawrencegunther.com to keep up to date on my blogs and videos. Subscribe to get the latest episodes of Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther by visiting your favorite podcast provider. And please take some time to rank us and give us some comments. Send me your feedback, suggestions, and questions on email at feedback at ami.ca or on Twitter at AMI-audio. I want to thank Nazreen Abdel-Majid, the manager of AMI-audio, Zandy Frank. Hello, I'm Sean Priest. Join me monthly for Sean of the Shed, where I introduce you to all the technology that can be so useful to us as blind or partially sighted people. Find Sean of the Shed wherever you find all your podcasts.